Hello and welcome to the Cynic Weekly. It's Thursday, it's the 22nd of December, it's the last Cynic podcast uh, weekly show for uh, 2022 and we are delighted and excited to have uh, the fantastic panel that is Christopher Sarmani. Hello Christopher, how are you? Evening Christopher, Um, delighted to be here. Great stuff and also Alan Edgar. Hello Alan, how are you? Also delighted to be here, looking forward to this boys. Great stuff. Uh, we are r- recording remotely. There's some sickness. There's sickness all over the place. Um, if you are currently under the weather, uh, you've got our uh, sympathies because everyone seems to be sick or coming out of sickness. So, um, you know, as I say, sympathetic to your plight. Um, but we will continue as always. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about. Celtic returning after the, the World Cup uh, and... Uh, Two wins out of two, which is exactly what we wanted, but we can talk through them a little bit more. We also have, obviously, the the game against St. Johnson on Christmas Eve that we'll talk about, as well as the game against Hibs. And it's funny because I kind of feel like the game against Hibs, no one's really... It's not that no one's talking about it because it is two games away, but people are kind of jumping ahead to the Rangers game a little bit. Is there a chance, Chris, you, we just need to kind of calm it down and just take it back game by game? Um. Yeah, and to be fair, I think the manager and the squad will do that. I think the support are naturally looking towards that game. Um, Just because this time of year, we normally, you know, we've always got the traditional fixture. We are probably desperate to kind of knock them down a peg after the the last two results that they've had. Um, So it's understandable that that's on the horizon and and that we're looking to it. But I, I don't think the manager will be like that. I mean, we'll get to it. We'll talk about some of his comments after the game last night. But for me, he's a, a guy who's always got his, his eye on what needs to be done. So as long as they're on the ball, we're allowed to do that a wee bit. But yeah, we need to be mindful that that's two games away and we need to get full points before we head there. It's hard not for that game on the second to come into your head though, Alan. Just as a supporter, I'm not, you know, not as, you know, the manager will take it game by game. But, you know, as a supporter, you just kind of always has have your eye drawn to that game because of, you know, what it means and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think the... The thing that I think we need to is you're right to mention it as us as fans, but the dynamics of this league and the way this league tends to be won and lost is largely um with the derbies. You know, trophies aren't handed out aren't handed out until May. So the victories that you get in these games, if you're lucky enough to get them, can really sustain you for quite a long time. So that's just the nature of that's absolutely fine. But um I think we all want to just go into it having protected that minimum, that lead that we've got at the moment. And that's that is a way that you can incentivize it, you know, because then it becomes a, a game that there's you've got a cushion, but you can really go and take it away from, you know, take the, the title race mm. or pour cold water on it if you like. So yeah, I think that's entirely natural. I'm absolutely fine with that. But I agree with what Savani says absolutely about the manager and the coaching team. There's not really any value in them looking at Rangers now because the game is too far away. There could be injuries, changes in system. You get just get a new manager in. So I think for them, it's pretty straightforward. You just go to the next game, then you do your prep after that. Uh, Chris, obviously, it's the... And I, we'll, we'll talk about the games that are coming up, but just it's, it's weird because, obviously, the World Cup has thrown a spanner in the works regarding kind of traditional um, festive uh, fixtures. And obviously, we're, we're playing games in January the way that normally we'd have, you know, three weeks to a month off. Um yeah, for me personally, I'd like to get you guys' point of view. No game on Boxing Day, you know, it's yeah. uh, kind of a bit of a pain. Uh, we've obviously got the game on Christmas Eve, which is weird within itself. Not that we've not had games on Christmas Eve before, but 
I don't know. Would you have preferred a Boxing Day kind of festive punch? You look desperate to come in, Alan. On you go. I'm desperate to come in because traditionally the Boxing Day game has been a victory. Um, not necessarily for Celtic, um, but for me personally, because it then gives you the opportunity to bail out of any events that you may or may not wish to attend. Um, so there isn't one this year, which then means that you have to go a wee bit deeper into the excuse book. Um, should you not want to attend something potentially on that day? Not speaking necessarily just for myself, but I'd imagine a lot of people have enjoyed the traditional Boxing Day. You can actually just go to the booze with your mates instead of um, maybe doing other things. I always I <clears throat> see when Alan said um, a kind of excuse book there. I always I always, when everyone mentions like little book or something, I always think of Sam Malone in Cheers with his book of all the kind of women women he's dated and all that. And I can just imagine Alan just sitting with his book uh, looking for excuses. Um what about yourself, Chris? Bit disappointed? Yeah, for me the the boxing day fixtures always always a good one. Not necessarily for, for the same reasons <laughs> as Alan, you know, family man here. Uh it's just it's just something that's always been there, if you know what I mean. And it feels weird at Christmas Eve, especially at half twelve on Christmas Eve, because it also happens to be a Saturday and there's nothing worse than an early game on a Saturday. So, I mean, technically it'll probably be better for my, myself, you know, with, with, with young kids and that with, with Christmas. But it does seem strange, to be honest. It's not, I'm not, I mean, I'm looking forward to the game, but I'm not sitting going, I can't wait for that. You know, where there's, there's some fixtures around this time of year that have got that extra edge, that wee bit extra to them. The Boxing Day game ones quite often that, especially if we're away from home. You know, the Dundee riots. You know, we, we can talk about up at Pataudry as well. Um, uh, the Canio, that was Boxing Day as well, wasn't it? was, it? yeah, the Golden Boots. Um, yep. So there's been a number that you can think of over the years. So it's a bit strange not to have it. But I would hope that it, it's it's reinstated next year and it's just because of the, the World Cup fixtures. Yeah, that's usually all, we're usually always away um, for the, the, the Boxing Day fixture it's usually always, you know, full of incidents um, and that's, uh, you know, kind of what we actually want to avoid at this point. I, rem- I do remember a Boxing Day fixture against Livingston. I think we won 2-1. Nakamura scored quite late and it was one of the coldest games I have ever been to. I think that would have been about 2006. Six, seven. Um, oh, it was horrific. Um, just thought I'd mention that. I remember one time I was at Celtic Park and it was so cold and it was raining and the rain was coming in because we were right Jockstein lower and the rain was coming in and me and my sister were like, we, we can either go home or we can go and buy some like, like gloves and scarves or whatever from the shop and we went to the, the shop and it was like uh, 20 quid for a scarf. I'm like, <laughs> I cannot, yeah. cannot hide money. Nah. I cannot hide money. No, but that, that, that's my point. We we didn't go home, but we also didn't buy the scarf. We just bought cups of tea. No, what, what he so, bought is he, he bought an executive box and just went <laughs> up and sat in there. I mean, Celtic that, that, have got you right where they want you in that scenario. It's I, just good business practice. That. I mean, I was 19 at this point, so I mean, I was fucking freezing. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any money. My bank account was colder than the, um, colder than the, uh, temperature. I don't know. I'm still ill. I'm still terribly ill. Um, get an opening question. Uh, obviously Celtic, um, give me your thoughts on the, the Aberdeen performance within answering the question, if you like. Um, because obviously we, we defeated Aberdeen 1-0 with what was a, a fantastic piece of individual brilliance from, from the captain, uh, Cal McGregor. Um, so the opening question, um, it's only two games so far, but if Celtic returned to the form you were hoping for, um, 
this is more of a kind of I've, I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days. Uh, Chris, Chris and Manny, what's that with yourself? Um, for a game and a half, I would say so. I think the dominance against Aberdeen and overall against Livingston, if we're being honest, but particularly in the first half, is what you want to see of a Celtic team. I think that one thing that's missing is goals, which has been something that we've mentioned before, and we'll maybe come and talk about that a wee bit further forward. But I think you've seen sides, an Aberdeen side, for instance, I've never seen an Aberdeen side play like that or set up like that against us ever. And there's been far worse Aberdeen sides. And then again, Livingston last night, the entire setup was to survive against us. And the only criticism I would have of, as I said, the Aberdeen game in the first half of the Livingston game is we maybe weren't a wee, you know, we maybe didn't put it out of sight. That's what you want to do. You want to translate that dominance into easy victories as opposed to having that, but still, you know, a wee bit nervy getting into the last few minutes of games. The second half last night, I think the energy levels dropped. I think we looked quite lethargic. Um... I'm not even going to speculate on why that might not why that might be, but the manager tended to agree if you look at his post-match comments and there's probably going to be a reaction on Saturday because of that. So, you know, you can't really moan too much. We've got six points out of two games. I think, largely speaking, we've went in and been almost completely untroubled in those games. But there's more. To, there's got to be more to come from us. That's. I, I think we need to translate our possession into a wee bit more that's the word, direct. No, that's not the word. We need to translate it. We, but we need to be far more clinical. There we go, that'll do. Uh, in terms of when we're, we're, we're cutting teams open, and that might be, I know it's difficult when teams are packed in, but that might be that we're maybe a wee bit impotent up front when it comes to our striking options at the moment. Uh, Alan, what's your kind of thoughts? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I largely agree that it's not been... It's certainly, to answer the question, it's not the form that you would have been hoping for. I think we were all hoping that we would well, certainly sweep Livingston away and that we would get the points up in Aberdeen and, you know, maybe put on a more swashbuckling performance in either of the games. But I, th- I think it is fair to point out that the tactics of both teams, and I don't criticise them at all, it is their choice. They don't have to come and play in any way, you know, that suits us. Yeah. But... You know, we've been watching Celtic for a long, long time and it's difficult to it's difficult to pick out more defensive performances. I mean, particularly I actually think Livingston last night, very happy to send the ball up the park with no real concern. Aberdeen's plan you could see a little was to keep two up front and then try and, you know, go man v man. I think Livy were just happy not to have the ball anyway and leave their own box. Um, you know, as a as a lack of ambition, that I know there's reasons for that, that's fine, but it's difficult to to put in a swashbuckling performance against that because it is difficult and you do have to grind it out. So it's two good wins. Um, but I think that there's certainly is a part where you can ask for more in. And I think particularly the two midfielders in front of Callum McGregor, I think I, I think you're expecting more from. Um, the wingers had a lot of the ball last night. Joe, I didn't have a great night. I bad, I thought it was good. But the two midfielders, they, they had enough of the ball. They just, just, they weren't finding themselves in nice spaces when they did. The touch wasn't right. It's um, I think that's the area of the park where when you're playing against teams that sit in that deep, their movement and their quality in the ball needs to shine through a little bit more, and as well as the striking issue that you know seems to have kind of 
rumbled on since before the break. So I don't think great, but two very, very defensive performances and two games in which you've, you know, you've managed to get the points. I do agree though that the performances need to be better. And I think there's definitely areas of the park where there is room for not just improvement, but significant improvement. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to split hairs a little bit. I, I think Celtic, um, are where I want them to be. We're top of the league. We're nine points clear. Um, we can talk about, you know, what's happened in the Champions League and stuff. Um, you know, different opinions on that, but, you know, ultimately weren't embarrassed, which was one of the big fears at the start. So performed, adequately I guess in the Champions League um, we have domestically as I say nine points clear we've dropped few to very few points you know the defeat against St Mirren and such however just to kind of to kind of flip it around a little bit Alan, um, Sermani said made, made a point there when he said waiting for it to click and I honestly and I, again I, I really don't mean this as a, like a, an overt criticism did but, I say that? You did. It was very I think good. You're putting words in my mouth. No, you did. You said waiting, waiting to click. Um, I just still feel where I'm waiting for this to click. And you know, it's it's like December. We've had, we've had periods where we've played some really really great football. We've had periods where we've just got the result, which I think is as important as playing really good football. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm asking for too much. Alan thoughts. I certainly don't think you're asking for too much. I think if anything, you're being maybe a little bit kind and it's not I mean I'm delighted with the position we're in as well it's it's fantastic um, we've been ruthless um, in terms of making sure that we win matches in which the points are very much in doubt until very late but I, I do think that the standards are very very high and um, I think we do want to see performance as well as result and I, to be honest I think that's what the manager has um, since day one has really tried to um, kind of highlight as well so I don't think the performances are bad at all I think I thought in the first half we were really good. I think that the, both in the Aberdeen and in the Livingston game, there are passages of play which are very good. But I, I think if you were to... I think maybe the best time, what we noticed last season was Ange Postecoglou throughout the season was very coy with the media. Then when the end of the season came, I think he gave his actual opinion on where he thought we were at at different stages of the season. When we get to the end of this season... I think if you were to ask about the performances pre-World Cup and these two performances since the World Cup, I think if he was being entirely honest, I think he would say that they're, they're far short of what his expectations are as a manager. And I think he, his comments last night would suggest that there's a, there's a difference between being delighted with the result, which when you win, we are, and then thinking, is that performance where we want to be? And I think for players that want to get in a team in areas where there's competition, I think you've seen a couple of players just not performing at the at the, the, the best level, um, both pre and post World Cup, and you know that is a positive. If they do, as you say, click, happy days. But you know you'd like that to happen. You know you mentioned the Hibs away, Rangers away games. These are big games that are going to be tougher. So you do want the players to be better, and you want them to be better in advance of these games because then that gives you that hope and that confidence. I think. Uh, Chris, you recommend? Yeah, I mean. The performances, I mean, taking us back to the more towards the beginning of the season, when we beat Dundee United 9-0, that was, now okay, there was an acceptance and an understanding that Dundee United, we'd probably got them at the perfect time, seeing as their manager left very shortly afterwards, but that was, the talk then was this side is 
the unit. This is what we've been building towards. We're going to take 10 off a team this season. We've seen this against St. Johnson last season, but now look what we've done. Down the United are no mugs, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, you thought that we were going to terrorise teams and, you know, dismantle them. Now, I think you could say that possession-wise, in terms of the amount of ball that we have, and even in some games, chances-wise, we, we probably have been at that level, but we've been nowhere near tanking a team like that for a while now. And I think that's... So it's it, on one hand, you can say, well, what's the problem? We were, it was two teams that you were sitting in, fended for their life, had no real desire to attack, packed really in, packed in very tightly, and it's always difficult to kind of break that down. Well, yes, but we generally pay, play teams that do that before, and we've shown form where we can dismantle teams, but we're not at that level. So there are mitigation, there is mitigation, and there are reasons why you could say that we're not doing that. But there's also a part of me that just says, I don't think we're doing that because we're not as good as we should be or could be with this squad of players. So I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging the way that the opposition set up, how well we're doing just now, how well we're doing to grind it out, but then saying, I expect more with the talent that we've got, what we've done before and what we've got coming up. And, you know, I don't think those two need to yeah, cancel each other out. And I think there's some in the support who, you know, they, 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 get, they get a wee bit prickly, shall we say, if if, if you if you kind of, you know, demand more on the basis of what I've said previously, but I don't think there's, there's a contradiction now. Um, just some of the quotes from, from Ange uh, yesterday. Um, he was talking about, essentially, people in the box weren't doing their jobs. We still created chances, but those numbers should be greater if we get on the end of things. It's unacceptable. We work on it constantly, so players know they should be in that area. It's not clinical, it's just being disciplined and being in those areas. We created good chances, but people in the box weren't doing their jobs. Balls flashed across the goal, but people weren't there. It's disappointing because we work on that constantly. Um, um, there's other quotes, but I just want to know quotes. Who do you think he's talking about, Alan? I think the, the natural instinct would be to and probably perhaps fairly think that you're talking about your striker there. The way he emphasised the way they work on movement, it, it does make me feel like it's more referencing a winger. And I think if you look at the specific chances that we had last night, where the balls come in from, it, it would be Jota. I think if I'm entirely honest, um, a lot of the balls were being delivered very well from that right-hand side. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of passes, you know, a lot of crosses didn't make it, but a lot of the good opportunities went begging when they passed the front post and then but they went beyond the far post as well. And you think of the amount of goals that Leila Bada has got from being alive in those situations. Um, yep. it, it hasn't happened at the back post. And I think John did not have a good night yesterday at all. No. Um, you know, verging on really one of, perhaps one of his worst performances, which wingers, it's fine. They get more flexibility, I think. But... I would probably, if I had to guess, I think it would be Jota because of that emphasis on the movement. That movement is a lot more natural to a striker like Kyogo. And Kyogo was in those areas yesterday. It just didn't kind of pan out. Whereas when it, Jota was, it didn't look like he was alive and coming in at that back post. So you never know. Um, he's very guarded and he says players, not player. So, you know, there might be enough of that to ground. But if I had to pick one, I'd go Jota. Uh, he also says, we've had a lot of success playing that way, so when it doesn't happen, I get frustrated because there's no reason why it shouldn't. 
It's not anticipation because you know what's going to happen. We work on it constantly. People said last week we've scored 200 goals and a lot have been like that. Maybe it's human nature and people people think there are other ways to score. I was disappointed but didn't take advantage of the chances we created. It was important to win. Performance wasn't our best. I thought in the first half we controlled the game and we did the things we wanted to, but I was disappointed. At 2-0, the game should be over. Conceded off soft goal. Um, Chris, are you surprised he's came out kind of all, gun, all guns blazing a little bit? Um, I don't know. I mean, see when Rodgers was the manager as well, see, when it, see reading into managers' quotes, you know, sometimes it just does man that in because you're trying to pick apart exactly what they're saying. But, but he's, even, ne- he's, he's never came out quite as... Yeah, he's, I suppose he was quite direct there. And and it was quite literal in what he's saying, so I don't know why I'm being a bit arsy about kind of uh, commenting on him. But I, I think he was disappointed with that performance, and I think we'll see changes on Saturday. And and I think I, I like that because it's very easy. Very see if he'd come out last night and said it's a good win against a team who had you know sat in deep and had no intention to you know to attack and you know for a creating chances and taking chances against a side like that's really difficult. That would be fine. That you know that you would go, okay, fair enough. But I'm pleased that he's come out and said that because he's saying some of the things that Alan and I and you are saying on here that is okay, we did do well to get that, but I want more. I demand more. We need to go up another level. So I'm pleased that he's done that. Um I'm I wouldn't say I'm surprised, you know, because he's been very consistent in terms of how he strives to get better and how he doesn't want to rest in his laurels, you know. He's not the sort of guy that will go, that's fine, that's good. Um, and this one, though, being more direct, isn't out of character. And it's probably it's probably timely, given the fact that we've got three big games coming up. Uh, Alan, do you want to come in? Yeah, I, I just think on that, it's not, you know, we don't stop unless it's a near double-digit lead. And I think that is about driving improvement and standard and performance. Yeah. Whether you've won, whether you've lost, it is about looking at the overall performance. And I think I think most people would be fair and say it's good to win, but also we should be and can be a lot better. Um, obviously, we, you know, the weekend it was highlighted we'd scored 200 goals. Um, the kind of talk of the town just now, and it has been for a while, is that sort of lack of... I don't want to say lack of consistency in front of goal because there isn't lack of consistency. It's just, and it's not clinical as as Ange says. Our main goal scorers, I guess, the goal getters, the guy who puts the ball in the net, Kyogo, Jackamakis, you know, these guys are being talked about up and down the support, throughout the support. Lots of people have different opinions, different points of view. Um, Some of them I agree with. Some of them I think are bonkers but you know everyone's entitled to them uh it's kind of going to rumble on so i don't want to stick or i don't want to make it as binary as who's better kyogo or jackamakis there's, there's absolutely no quality in that there's no need for that so it's more about our striking options as a whole uh, chris i'll bring you in first well the debate the debate regresses into that normally it's kyogo or jackamakis whereas the debate really should now be do we need somebody better than both of them? And I I would say yes. Yeah. Because well, out of the two of them, I think Kyogo has the ability to go up levels, levels that we've seen him at before. 
but I'm not content to sit back and go, he'll come good. Because I don't know if he will. Um, he's, I mean, some of his movement last night was good as well, but at other points he just, and his finish was nice, you know. It was an instinctive finish, which was, was, was really good, the, the near post. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't buzzing about his performance last night. And Jackie Marcus is Jackie Marcus. For me, he's always been a guy who I'm happy to have in the squad. But if I'm, the fact that we're in a position where we're talking about the fact Jackie Marcus should start in front of Kyogo says a lot about Kyogo's form. I think we need a main man right now, a main striker who you basically say they're starting. The fact that there's a debate between those two. I think for me says that Kyogo hasn't hit the heights that we thought he would. And I still, you know, I still think it's possible that he could because he's got a lot of really good components to his game. He's a player I really like. He's not a player I'm trying to shove out the door. But at the same time, I don't think he's became that main man that we all thought he would be. I don't think he's became that, you know, the way Edward was, the way Dembele was, the way... Numerous strikers down the years that we've had have been not maybe not undroppable, but when you seen them in the team, you were really really confident they were going to get goals, and you knew that they were a big 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 player for us. Kyogo's got the potential to do that, and he has done it on occasions. But you don't look at him when he's starting and go, "Yes, that that you know he's he's really really going to drive us forward." And that's a problem. Um, excellent points, Chris. Uh, Alan, your kind of thoughts on the whole thing? I, I think that's, to be honest, I think that's summed up very well. And um, I, I like I like both strikers. I think they both bring very different things. Um, Kyogo has shown that he can light up this league. Um, and I think that then tips it in his favour. I think his ceiling is much higher. But we are in a bit of a situation at the moment where I think it is fairly clear to most that if you're talking about big games, Champions League games, potentially even Rangers games, I don't think either of them have shown us that they can perform at that standard yet. I, I do still hold out hope for Kyogo. Um, mm, yeah. But that that's that's not an infinite hope. Um, you you do need to can I give something? I think the the Derby game potentially in the second, not to put pressure on because it doesn't matter where the goals come from, but long term, I think if you are looking at those bigger games, I think both of them are really, really poor in Europe. Um, and the, the one thing they both have in common that I think is played for most to see is that the link-up play is really not of a required standard. Gigi's touches anywhere else except the six-yard box are really well short of what I would expect. And Kyogo really his movement is his big quality because his touch at times outside the box is not not composed enough. So I think when you are playing against, particularly against sides that sit that deep, and that does not secure at all, I think there is a requirement for someone that can actually link a little bit more and maybe be a little bit more subtle. Um, but yeah, I think the, the GG stuff, I think, looks like it's heating up a little bit. I know there was an Instagram post today, but... It was that I mean, aside. I mean, the Instagram post. Like, I'm not, I'm not a big Instagram guy. Like, I don't take a lot from it in regards to if someone posts something, it means X or Y. It, it does. It, people are just looking into things now, which is our support are are very investigative, and there's something about that I, I really love. You know, tracking. That's, that's, that's a very polite way of putting it. Investigative. Yeah, you know, but like we we kind of like scour. There's over been it. an Instagram post. <laughs> 
<laughs> scouring over everything and you know I, I get that but it's probably just a, it's a very no, Instagram post probably no I don't even I, I think just in general though, I think as I said Gigi's record he has been incredible and he's been a fantastic buy for us um, and he's scored some really important goals but I, I do think that he will want to be a main man somewhere um, and he's he's not at the moment uh, I don't think he's getting there's plenty of game time there for him but he does strike me as someone at the age he's at that probably doesn't want to be coming on for the last half hour or he, I think he wants to be playing maximum amount of football and I don't have a problem with that his value is probably fairly high relative to his signing fee at the moment so I don't have an issue with it and to go back to it I think there's, it's an area of the part where I would like to see an improvement on both so you would require funds to do that and one of them would have to go and I think Gigi probably is the more likely of the two at this point in time yeah. so I think it's a good situation um, I don't think it's bad and I would wish him the best if he did go but this is what we want to see we are talking about Champions League and big games and I think both of them this year in those games were found wanting so I think there would need to be investment there so it's fairly in my eyes, it looks a fairly straightforward situation. Chris, as a Celtic support, you, you know your nose gets out of joint a wee bit when a player is perceived to want to leave. But I think it should be a bit different for Jack and Marcus because he's not the sort of guy that, you know, if he decides to go, you're thinking, oh, we're never going to recover from this. He's 28. He's a good addition to the squad. If he wants to go, he stocks fairly high just now. And I said this before, and you know, I think we talked about it the last time as well. The difference is we were talking about markets. You know, he's probably the most successful we've had in that two million pound bracket, right? I'm not talking about spending that and getting somebody as good as Jack and Marcus, but what I mean is, if he goes, you know, we're going to get decent money for him. I would assume he would go with my best wishes. I think he's replaceable. I was going to say easily, but you know, Celtic we're talking about here. He is very replaceable. I think that's fair to say. And I think, say you get, I don't know, four times your money, eight million quid or something like that for him. It's a no-brainer for me at his age and what he brings overall to the squad. Do you think we should invest that eight million quid in one player? What what I would argue is if we bring, if, if you know, you sign someone for two and a half million quid and then you kind of give him a platform, he performs and then he leaves for eight million quid. I think as a club we should be, okay, that money, use all of that money and put that into getting a replacement. You go for the best player that you can and you do that within the budget. Now I would like to think the club would say anything you get for him back you can spend and if that striker costs eight million quid, fine, good. If we can go out and find a striker that costs less, looking at different markets, remember? Yeah, yeah. We've been linked with Cho, obviously, from the South South Korean League. We've, you know, we've seen different links for different players in leagues that we don't normally go in. It's potential that we'll unearth a gem there. So see if we sign somebody from somewhere that we're not familiar with for two million quid. My reaction, like most people's reaction, will be, all right, we've went for the cheap option. But that's not necessarily the case. It's got to be about finding the right player at the right time, you know, the right price, and that might be something a wee bit different, a wee bit out of left field. For me, the main thing is, if he goes, we get somebody better in, and my trust's handed over to Ange and the scouting team for that one. I'll be the first to slaughter them if it doesn't work out, but I'm content, I'm content to go down that road just now. Alan, do you want to come in? Yeah, I, I think... I think we've seen recently with the right-back situation <clears throat> that 
when there's a certain fee and there's an a, a, almost a knowledge that a player will move on, we were quite happy to bring one in and wait for the other to go. I feel like in the striking area that you would need to almost have that knowledge that one of them is going. I say one of them, it looks like Gigi would be probably more likely to go. You would probably need them to go in January. I don't think that Ange would be looking at having three strikers on the books, especially if you're spending big money on one of them all the way through to the summer, I think. I don't see that as a step. So I think it would be a case of one on one out unless it was at the lower end um, of the scale. So no, I would I would be I would be very keen to see a new striker in. I, I would love as well. Not that it will help us domestically in any way, shape or form. I, if we could bring in someone that can take a penalty, it would be a, a nice um a nice wee extra as well. Again, no fucking help domestically whatsoever at any point. But it might come in handy in the Champions League next year. Anyone, anyone, just a kicker, like an NFL style kicker, a guy who can't do anything else, but he can take a penalty just to come on. Um, in regards to the squad moving forward, Alan, and I'll get your thoughts on this as well, Chris. He said there, obviously, you know, Ange probably wouldn't be looking to have three strikers, you know, from January to, to June because there's only a finite amount, amount of you know, games and such. And if ones came in for a big value, then, you know, he'd probably be looking to start. But how many should we be looking for? How many should we be have? How many should we be have? How many should we have slash do you think Ange wants? So one striking position, three strikers, two strikers. What's your thoughts? I think if, you, if you're looking at real quality, I think two, because you you obviously have Dyson Maida who can play in there as well. Um, I think for Celtic, his, his best games haven't been there, but he is capable of you know scoring goals. So I think an ideal situation would be that we have two really good quality options, and then potentially a younger player who would be you know promoted to the first team, get the experience of training with the first team day in day out, be part of the match day squads. Then you can assess whether or not you know in the following year whether he should go on loan. Unfortunately, that's another discussion. We do have a slight dearth of talent um, relatively in the, the B team. So that's not going to get resolved anytime soon. But I think if you get two out and out quality players, I think you work on that basis. And then, you know, you look at the alternative options, you know, potentially Maeda if you need them in there, if, you know, injuries or suspensions or, or what have you. So I think if you get two options in there, I think the manager would be very, very happy. Two for yourself, Chris, moving forward. In terms of bringing on top of the two we've got, you mean, or just in general for, at the start of next season, how many would you? How many strikers would you like to see? Celtic oh, sorry, have? sorry, I picked you up wrong. I thought you were talking about January additions. Um, we just think I, we'll have ten strikers, please, Christopher. Um, <laughs> that'll, that'll do nicely, and then we can just rotate them in and out as we please. No, I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree with Alan. I think you need two main strikers. Then. You probably need a utility player who's able to go in there and, and ideally you would have a youngster uh, on the up who can potentially do that. Um, I mean, sometimes that's not enough. I mean, you can see the situation we've got potentially at right back for the next game when we've got three at the club. But um, uh, you would you would want three that are able to play that position as a minimum and ideally somebody coming up um, from, from the youth ranks. So exactly... What Alan said, I agree with. Um, I just saw, I saw today, or sorry, yesterday, that uh, young Johnny Kenny, who we brought in to, oh, yeah. fair enough, a, fa- a fair a bit of fanfare. He's on the, he was on the website front and all that. Um, he's left Queens Park because he couldn't get a game, and he's way back to the League of Ireland. Um, 
and that shows that you know you can bring players in and have a promise that you know they they've performed well, young players. But you know it's not always going to work out, and that's not in any way disparaging to him because he again you know he's he's very very young. But it's just hard to see these guys transitioning in the Celtic first team. Chris, sorry, wants to come in. And I think I was thinking about this the other day. I think that generally goes with some of the players that have been poached. Now, the one guy that seems to be standing out is Ben Doak. He's been down to Liverpool and he seems very highly rated and I think he's had some game time down there for Liverpool. But a lot of the players that have came through or even went elsewhere don't seem to be doing much. So that might be... I don't know if that's to do with the quality of the system that we've got, quality of the coaching. You know, there is a part of it where you're saying it's really, really hard to get there and I totally understand that, but I've take, maybe taken this off it in a wee bit of a diversion, but it's like there just doesn't seem to be much happening and being generated through there and I don't know whether that's to do with the systems that we've got in place or the talent that we're picking up, but even when we're going elsewhere and, and you know, picking up players here and there, you know, Luca Cono, another example, it just doesn't seem to be working out and it's it's not ideal for the league that we play in that we're not able to turn around uh, or bring through enough players. I know we touched on this the last few weeks about who we have brought through, but it's just it just seems a wee bit a wee bit awkward. Even as I said, even some of the guys that have been picked up by other clubs, you know, they they don't seem to be setting the kind of the heather and fire either. So I believe Liam Morrison's the captain of like the Bayern B team. What? <laughs> so fuck. Who cares? No, he's absolutely though. done you there, Christopher. Absolutely done you. I, I didn't. I didn't say it was good or bad, but you know, no. I, you, I, I, I mean, don't don't get me wrong, right? He might end up going on or whatever, but no, team no. football in general, even I know that there's more of a, you know, in Spain and in Germany, I know that there's more. They're more embedded within the league structure, and they're good, but. No, no, you're a hundred percent right. That ultimately, all these players, until they actually play first team football, like Ben Doak is an exact is an exception. That guy looks like he was, you know, he's already playing for the Liverpool first team squad, right? So, even if we if we'd signed him on a pre contract and he'd shown that form, we probably wouldn't have been able to hold on to him, right? Fair enough. But you're right. The rest of those guys, you know, the guys we always talk about, Liam Morrison and um, all these guys who left, until they break into the first team or until they play at a level that is equal to, you know, playing for Celtic. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of, it's all potential at this point, you know, but yeah. that's, that's what we're shopping in when it comes to, and that's what you're developing. And sometimes that potential breaks through and sometimes it doesn't. Um, it's yeah. just having that option, I think, below that you might I, produce something. I don't want to, just before you come in, Alan, I don't want to sound like I'm sitting the book at, but <laughs> I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. It's specifically him, no, just him. It sounds no, like it, but no. not, not at all. But I suppose what I suppose the overall point I'm making here is it's not like, apart from maybe Doak, that these clubs have taken somebody so exceptional from is that they've then went on to make an impact at the clubs that they've went to. It just seems as if the entire system is not bringing out those sort of players that are capable of pushing for a first team place at Celtic just now. Yeah, Alan, do you want to come in? I just think very quickly on it. I think for us and for other teams that bring in youth players, I know we mentioned there was so many. We brought in a you know a number of players from down south from the League of Ireland. Um, the attrition rate on young players is very very high, and yeah. if we bring in five and the kind of amounts of money that you're talking about, 
um, if you bring in four or five players, if one of them makes it, it's a success. And I think I think the Frimpong example, he came in around the time when we brought in a number of players. Um, he was he was the only success and he was a rip-roaring success. But you, even if he doesn't go for 12 million, if you bring in one player who becomes a first-team player, that that's a success and that then justifies, you know, there are three or four who haven't panned out. Now, for the, the other three or four, that's very difficult, but that's the nature of it. And I think yeah. that is when you're bringing in young players, it's not exclu- exclusive to us. It's the same across the board. Um, so I, I think that's just always worth noting that buying first team players is hard enough. And the success rate, if you if you get a you know fifty percent, seventy five percent hit rate, you're delighted with first team players. And I think over the years we've been a bit short of that. If you can get that up, then that's better for younger players. I think it's much much lower. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just regarding the Celtic Livingston game from yesterday, uh, obviously, uh, you know, every, a lot of stuff came down our right hand side. There was a fantastic uh, th- couple of through passes from from Anthony Ralston, who then went down injured, uh, and he had to come off, which meant that uh, Greg Taylor went to left back uh, and Bernabai came on, and he played left back um, for the rest of the game. Just on Anthony Ralston, Ange Postecoglou was quoted as saying afterwards. I don't think it's anything too bad. He had a bang on the nose and his back seized up after a challenge, but I'll wait until after the physio has seen him. I don't think it's anything too serious. Um, it is a worry, though, because he is kind of our only natural right-back that's currently available, Chris. Uh, you'd like to see him fighting fit for the game against St. Johnston, or would it be a case of we can potentially you know, patch things together for St. Johnston and have him back for Easter Road? What's more important? Yeah, I mean... When he went off, you know, I think everybody said there must be something there because Ralston's not the type of character who would go off for something trivial. Not, you know, that's reading into other players and suggesting that they would, but, you know, Ralston definitely doesn't appear to be that way. Um, so hopefully the manager's right and it is fairly kind of innocuous and, and, you know, a couple of massages off the old physio and he'll be ready to go on Saturday. Um, but if, you know, you want to give him that a bit extra, you probably would try something a wee bit different against St. Johnson at home. Um, if the choice is risking him against St. Johnson or and you know, or making sure that he's fit for Easter Road, I would tend to do that. I mean it's going to be disjointed. Greg Taylor at right back isn't something that you're you're particularly wanting to see. But you could probably just about get away with it at home to St. Johnson, I would hope, I would assume. So um ideally it was it was nothing really, and he's fit for Saturday. But it, you wouldn't want to go to Easter Road with that imbalance at the back, because I think they would be far more likely to punish us than St. Johnson. Uh, Alan, your kind of thoughts on that, and uh, you know the potential for uh, Ralston to be available, be unavailable. Yeah, I, I think I think it'd be okay. But the sounds of it, it didn't sound like it was one particular injury. It sounded like it maybe just had a couple of knocks because he was down a few times before that as well. Um, so I would be optimistic they would certainly be available for Easter Road. I don't think I would be in a hurry or to see the Burnaby and Taylor kind of double act. Um, having had the the matinee shown last night, um, <laughs> there's a lot to iron out there. Um, you know, I think Greg Taylor's been, Greg Taylor has been superb this season. Um, Burnaby has shown flashes. But Taylor out of position and Bernabe in there—that's going to take a lot of work. Um, so they both—I don't—I think when Taylor went to right back last night, he didn't look particularly comfortable. Um, certainly willing, but 
just not the same composure as we've seen from him this season. And, and Burnaby, very good going forward, as we've seen, but defensively still a lot of work there. So I would be hoping that Ralston and Joseph Dranovic would potentially be available for um, for Easter Road at the very least. Just yeah. just sneaking ahead in your rundown there, Chris, but I can see the disappointment in your face. No, that was good. That was good. We call that a link, um, but we're not using that link yet. But still, it's still technically a link, so great work. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on the, the VAR um, stuff. You guys were at the game. That makes, that makes one of us. <laughs> um, you, got, we got, you guys were both at the game. I, I, I couldn't go because of illness, so I was watching it on television. Did you have a great... Was it explained to you, Alan, when you were at the game, what exactly was happening, or was it just the sign on the kind of TV? Well, I, sat in the, I laughed when you said at the start we won't spend too much time in VR. I wish the referees had said the same last night. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I sat that I sat in the Jock Steen stand, so I can see the other functioning screen. Of at course, the moment, yeah, because one of which, um, <laughs> fucking hell, which told us that they were checking the goal now. I have two functioning eyes um, and I sit very far back in the stadium, but I'm aware that the referee is checking something. There is no further information. Um, Why they can't show what they show people at home on... I'm presuming on pay-per-view last night they were showing replays of it as... um, Not really, no. No, no, great. Okay, well, that's that then. I I think I've said it before, fans in the stadium should be afforded the same luxury as, as people that are watching on TV. They should be able to see whether it's after the decision. I don't mind. Um, I, you know, if, if we see it afterwards, so they don't want this to influence the referee, but it's just a nonsense that you are the people that kind of put the most effort, if you like, into going. You are the paying customer and you know nothing. Even afterwards, people are checking their phones. They're getting texts from people saying, yes, it was offside. No, it wasn't offside. It's a... We were told that offsides, and I get that, that I understand the complexity of this one. We were told though that Hawkeye would make the decisions. Surely they would just have to go and look and then go through the the rule book and then just clarify. But now we've been told that uh, there's a wee bit of a grey area, um, and it's no surprise that it happens to us um, as well. I, I'm getting to the stage now with the. Uh, I am not a tinfoil hat person at all. Um, Really? <laughs> Sometimes I, I am. I've heard you after a few pints. Fucking <laughs> hell. But we are just getting to the stage now when it does go to VR check. I would be, you'd be as well saying to the players, just, you know, if we score a goal and it's potential offside check set up for the free kick, if we get a, if there's a VR penalty shout for us, then just go back to the halfway and just go back. You're not going to get a penalty. It's just becoming tiring. And I'm really, make the decision quicker and communicate to the people that are in the stadium what's actually happening because it doesn't help that after seven minutes of standing there watching the referee shuffle about, then going to the monitor, that they just say, yes, it is offside. And then you have to rely on, you know, someone that's at home texting you to tell you what actually happened. Treat fans in the stadium like the the, the paying customer, they're the people that, you know, that are there to be entertained. So I think that needs correcting and he's correcting not at the end of the season and he's done ASAP. Chris, I mean, it's, let's be perfectly honest, it's it's the disparity in terms of some of the, the decisions we've seen for us and some of the decisions that have went for Rangers. There seems to be a different approach to how VAR is being handled or the decisions, the handball decisions. So it's either, right, I'm, I'm not a tinfoil hat weather like, like Alan. 
all the time. But <laughs> it certainly seemed at the start of the season that handball was being punished no matter what. Yeah. You know, you seen the Burnaby penalty and it was, you know, that was ridiculous in terms of his awareness or whatever. So what? The rule says it's handball. On you go. When you compare that to a couple of the decisions... Stephen Smith at no, Steve, Smith at um, Hearts when he handles it in the box as well. That yeah, the one, uh, the one that we played the first yeah, VAR yeah. game, wasn't it? That was the first yeah. VAR game, yeah. So, so you've got that, and then that, there's that. Michael, then more Michael recently, Smith, sorry. more recently, the decisions like last night, the ball, uh, the penalty that you know with Livingston. Now his arms were by his side, but he's motioned towards the ball. For me, that should have been a penalty, and then. The game, the, the Rangers game, I thought the goals and goal should have been chopped off. It rolled down his arm, it changed direction. And then the, the penalty decision that they never got. So as a support, we're immediately going to point to that uh, and make assumptions about what's happening. But for me, I think an underlying point is there's very clearly a different approach to handballs in the box. Who's made that decision? Where that's come from? I don't know. But you brushed your arm against it or anything like that earlier in the season it was getting given. Now it's absolutely not, even when they're looking at it. I'll leave it up to the listeners to fill in the blanks if they want. It's, but it, it, it's it's definitely changed, basically. Alan? I, I agree with that a lot. And um, I think if you are changing the application of it, I think that is something you could communicate as well to fans so that we can move with it. Um I'd also like to just say as well, I actually really do like a tinfoil hat. Keeps your head warm. You can mould any whatever shape you like. It's just really versatile and you, very cheap as well. Do you know who made tinfoil hat, that whole tinfoil hat thing, uh, popularised? Popular. Hugh Keevans. Uh, Samani, do you know? No. It's Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick. Oh, aye, Sci-fi aye. writer Philip K. Dick, uh, who wrote... Like, Blade Runner, The Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Every sci-fi film, not every sci-fi film, but a lot of the main sci-fi films have came from Philip K. Dick books. And I, uh, I, I was close. I was close with you, Keevans. <laughs> you were close, hi. Um, the game yesterday, um, Celtic ran out 2-1 winners. Um, Martin Dale said a lot of stuff that was just wild about us. You know, Celtic, Celtic deserved to win, but we were still in it. And all this stuff, um, this, you know, come on, man. Did they, did they talk about Giovanni Van Bronckhorst or how he liked Michael Beale as a player? He went <laughs> and watched him play in fucking five sides. Vile. Oh, um, but, you know, <laughs> Ralston, I mean, here's here's the main headlines. Abada played really well. Uh, Kyogo scored. Uh, Ralston went off injured, but it's not as bad as we as we, as we had feared. Um, VAR, VAR. And seems a wee bit annoyed with the performance. But ultimately... Alan, good job well done, essentially, or, or at least on to the next one anyway. Yeah, uh, look, if you've been going to Celtic Park or you're watching Celtic at this time of year, granted this year's different because we haven't had as many games, but these we get a lot of these games around this time of year. It's as much a tradition as Turkey and Christmas Day that midweek home games at Celtic Park can be a little bit drab. It's not a particularly... I don't think these are the nights that anyone joins Celtic for. You never hear them say, I want to play in, you know, it's Glasgow Derby's Champions League. You never hear somebody say, can't wait till it's, you know, pissing down the rain and it's freezing on Wednesday night and we get a 35,000 home game against Livingston. So I, I do give it that big caveat. Um, and it is one of the ones we move on, but it's with the, 
it's with the kind of knowledge or the hope that actually it does get better and we get to be enjoy it more, maybe enthralled a wee bit more. And I think with the two, with the three games that are coming up, St. Johnson at home, and then those two games, I think there'll be plenty of uh, back and forth football for us to hopefully enjoy. So uh, a, a wee dose of reality maybe as well. Chris, yourself just finally before we move on to St. Johnson. On the performance, the yeah. Livingston game. Yeah, I mean, it's covered it early on. I suppose it was it, it was job done. I don't think we were ever in serious threat. A wee bit annoying that we conceded really, one time, basically, I, they went up the park. Yeah. Um, I don't think we went into, you know, to talk about their goal. I don't think we really need to, yeah. you know. But fundamentally, they went up the park, scored. That was how you put your nose out of joint and it meant that the last... 10-15 minutes were unnecessarily nervy but even then I don't think we were troubled um, I think it's about being pleased with what we have got but understanding that there's levels to go and hopefully that starts on Saturday. Absolutely um, Saturday uh, Celtic St Johnson it's a 12.30 kick off um, general thoughts going into this one Alan um, Ange Postacoglu's kind of hinted that he's going to bring in changes he wasn't happy with the performance will it be a Set a wholesale changes, do you think, or it'll just be one or two tweaks? I, I could see maybe three or four um, changes because of the time of year. We are just off the back of a pretty big break as well, and I think you will want to rotate and keep players fresh. So I think irrespective of performance, I would have guessed that there would be changes, to be honest. Um, so I, I think three or four at a minimum on uh, Saturday. And I I'm really looking forward to this one. This is different from, and again, this is me more as a uh, looking at it from just a, from our perspective. But an early kick off Christmas Eve, it's a pretty special occasion. Um, I think the crowd will be much more up for it. I think there will be a, hopefully a wee bit of festive cheer. Every, look, everybody's going to be hopefully <laughs> in a good mood. Um, so I think it, it, this one from this because I, I thought the atmosphere was fairly flat last night until the VR decision, and then after. There was, we were united in uh, kind of anger at the referee. But I think Saturday might be a bit different. I think it will have that. I think we talk about it a lot, um, and I know a couple of other folk on, on the Cynic have done the same. The atmosphere before you have two away games, or say Celtic are going, going away in Europe, people like to give it as kind of like a big send-off. And given that the next two games are Easter Road away and then it's Rangers away, this is the last time that the home crowd will see the players before then. I do get the impression there will be a much better atmosphere, much more positive. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Saturday. I think there will be a much better attendance. I think hopefully we'll see a bit more exciting football and maybe that will give the players a big lift. So I'd get a much different perspective of this game than you know Wednesday night's game or last night's game, sorry. Uh, Sermani, changes that you'd like to see? Um, personnel, what's your thoughts? Um, I mean, and, and we can, if we're talking about the performances in the last game, you know, Alan hi- highlighted the midfield too um, in front of, of McGregor being particularly disappointing. Shot, I didn't have a good game. Personally, though, I'm not dying for anybody to be changed out. You know, there's nobody... The manager clearly is, but I, I, there's nobody I'm thinking, no, I, I don't want you to play. There's somebody coming in, kind of biting at your you know, heels to try and get a starting berth. What I think we might see is we might see Haxabanovich perhaps yes, for Jota. Yes. Uh, I think you might see Moy coming back in to the midfield um, and replacing either one of Hitati or, or O'Reilly. Um, not too sure elsewhere. I mean, it's normally very easy for him to make changes. 
in the front three. Kyogo got his goal last night. Sounds like Jackie Marcus is, you know, I thought he would have been on earlier last night. I thought that was a wee bit telling. Um, so I think, and Abada played well, so I think the two midfielders and Jota are maybe the ones that will be in the firing line in terms of, of being replaced. And, you know, if Haxabanovich came in and Moy replaced one of the two, the, the, those I wouldn't be particularly bothered about that. I think both of them have got enough quality to kind of take the game to St. Johnson on Saturday. Uh, St. Johnson unbeaten in six. They have rocketed up to their, their fifth in the, the, the league table, but they're actually on joint points with Hearts. It's very important that we don't underestimate them, Alan. Um, but would it be Hacksaw coming in for you, Haxabanovich, um, what personnel changes? For example, if when do you think he'll make the decision on Ralston? I think he'll, he'll have a good idea. I presume the players would be off today and they'll be back tomorrow. So I would imagine he'll have a good idea tomorrow. Um, you know, if he had any particular injury, he would have been up at Lennox Town today to get treatment. If he feels that it's just tiredness, then he'll, he'll be resting. So I think he'll know tomorrow in his head. Whether he tells us or not is entirely different. But I get, I, I, if I was just suggesting changes, it would just be arbitrary and it would just be having a, it would be fingering their stuff because we've got really talented players going forward. We know which players the manager wants to use and which players he probably doesn't want to use. So anything within that rotation is fine. He doesn't seem to... It's quite hard to pick what he's going to go for. I think Abada was very good. He would expect to start, but then by the same token, he might then think that he wants to protect him for the big game against Hibs. So it's very, very difficult. I think there will be changes. I would just be guessing if I was to say what I really think. Um, if Moy did come in, I think it would be fairly interesting as well. You you do rely heavily on those three players. He used Turnbull first last night as well, which was interesting. So um, there's options in there, but I, I think there will be changes, but we'll just need to see what happens. I do agree, though, that we shouldn't underestimate St. Johnson. I do hope that they turn up, though, and their secret Santa has got zero points written on it. <laughs> um, we had a, rea- a reaction to the uh, Celtic Livingston game, which is available uh, on the cynic.co if you subscribe now. And um, we'll have a reaction straight after uh, after the Celtic St. Johnston game. We'll be recording that live and in person in a, a, a pub in Glasgow City Centre. Myself, Alan and uh, Christopher Bowd. That'll be great on uh, oh, no. Saturday. Oh, uh... I never realised Christopher Bowd was involved. Uh, I may also be unwell and unable to attend. And Paul Carlin as well. So. Festive, festive, that's good. Paul Carlin can keep Festive Bowd in check. Yeah, I, oh yeah, I, that's a good point. It might be festive about so um, if you if you uh, eggnogs or vegan eggnogs. Um, the, the game on Wednesday against Hibs, Sermani, Juranovic, you think, can you see, can you, do you think Juranovic will take part in, obviously get Hibs on the Wednesday away from home and then we've got the big game against Rangers at Ibrox two huge away games we've got that right back position where, you know uh, Anthony Ralston's a, a fantastic player and he, he's playing well yeah. but Juranovic is legitimately levels above him but rumours he's been linked out etc, etc, how, how do you manage that situation? Um, I think you play the strongest team that you've got and I think that the rumours haven't... There was at one point where I thought Juranovic wouldn't come back to the club. And I think that would... I thought that might have been ahead of a very early Jan, January transfer deal to another side. Now, I'm, I'm not saying he won't move in January, but I don't think there's a deal signed, sealed and delivered and ready to be signed in the first. So for me, he's part of our squad. He's the best right back we've got. Assuming he's not still knackered from 
you know, playing all those games for Croatia, actually playing games for Croatia. <laughs> um, then for me, I would bring him in. I would bring him in against Tibbs. Um, but that's a decision to be taken on. Obviously, I don't know the transfer stuff. That's a decision the manager needs to take in terms of that sort of stuff and in terms of his overall fitness given uh, any p- possible fatigue. But assuming we've got a willing and fit Josip Juranovic, I would play him as soon as we can. Um, if you sign up for the Cynic.co, we're going to have uh, lots of uh, coverage of the Glasgow Derby. We've got features, we've got a preview, we've got a lunch club where we, myself and Alan and a few others will sit and discuss the game as it comes. So lots of um, lots of treats, shall we say. Alan, just uh, before we kind of move on um, and finish up, with Alistair Johnson being at the club, would he be in in the kind of mix for January the second, or if if Juranovic doesn't make it, it's Ralston's game. I think Ralston would would get the nod. To be honest, I don't um, I don't think that it would be a, necessarily a wise move to put Johnston into that game right off the bat. I think um, ego tried and tested, um, and I think I think the fact that it would be a big adjustment for Johnston, he's not playing in Europe at the moment. I think there is a, a significant difference there, although his fitness could potentially be huge for us between January and um and June. But I, I would I would reckon Ralston gets the, the nod there if he's fit and available. Yeah, absolutely. Um so we've got uh St Johnson on Saturday on Christmas Eve, twelve thirty kickoff. Then we've got Hibs uh, on the twenty eighth. That's an eight PM kickoff on Wednesday the twenty eighth. We'll have a reaction to that. And then we'll have the build up to the Rangers game. As I say, you can check it out, the Cynic.co, daily Celtic content and uh, content uh, around the Derby like you wouldn't believe. Um Christopher Samani. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Christopher. Merry Christmas, Alan. Merry Christmas, everyone. Alan Edgar, Merry Christmas, my friend. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure, boys, and thanks very much to everybody for listening. I hope you have a, a happy, prosperous, and a nine-point festive period. Uh, from uh, Christopher Sermani, from Alan Edgar, from myself, Chris Gallagher, and from everyone at The Cynic, uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll see you for the build-up to the Derby. Hail, hail! Hail!